Hi, I'm Brandon Briscoe, and welcome to another episode of The Postscript, Living Faith Bible Institute's weekly podcast and YouTube series devoted to interviewing pastors and professors from the Living Faith Bible Institute on a myriad of topics from theology to ministry to missions. And we are in the middle of a conversation with Pastor Greg Axe about church history, which is a often neglected uh, subject matter among Christians. Uh, we don't often think about history. We love to study our Bible, but we often don't think about how um, people have impacted history over time for good or for bad uh, and in accordance to Scripture or, or in conflict with Scripture. Now, right now, we are entering into a conversation about the Dark Ages. In the last episode, we talked about Leo I or Leo the Great, and we discussed him establishing the papal authority. And we're going to continue with that conversation as we enter in the 5th and 6th and 7th century conversations about Gregory the Great and Charlemagne and their influence on the Holy Roman Empire. And so we're looking forward to, to having this conversation, and I want to welcome my friend, Pastor Greg Axe. Appreciate it. Last time we were together, we were having a conversation about the Middle Ages, right. and we kind of just broke into that 6th century time frame. Mm-hmm. If you can give us just a little bit of insight, set the stage for us as it concerns the relationship between the Roman Empire and the Catholic Church at that at that time period. Well, the Roman Empire was fracturing a little bit, as all empires will eventually do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there were groups coming around that were conquering various parts of the land and uh, from the Roman Empire as well. And it was a political entity until Constantine came along and made it religious and political, both. <clears throat> and so this... Empire is beginning to fracture a little bit. You've got groups coming along, the Visigoths in one area, the Vandals in another Mm -hmm. area. We even call it vandalism today because the Vandals were just, they would go in and just tear stuff up just to tear it up for no other purpose. And the Huns were the ones that were the most famous of those groups, Attila, the Hun, everybody no, has studied at least or has heard the name Mm -hmm. Attila the Hun. He was a leader of a military uh, effort to try to conquer Europe during that time. Came in through Germany, down through northern Italy, and was stopped by Pope Leo, who, uh, as we talked about the last time, really consolidated or began the concept of the Pope not being just a spiritual religious leader of a church, Mm -hmm. but a political man as well, and an army general emperor in his own right as well. Before that time, Constantine was the emperor, Sylvester was the pope. They were two different guys. Now that becomes um, um, morphed into the same office and the same man through Leo. And that's kind of the the, um, environment that was there at that time where that office now begins to rise as the leader of the world, Mm. um, religiously and politically and militarily as well. And so that's kind of the story of the Middle Ages, really, is um, this relationship between whoever's in power governmentally Mm -hmm. and politically, and then the where does that infringe? You know, the papal authority wants to 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 take power and and have political influence, and and this idea of Christendom begins to arise a little bit. Maybe you can explain what Christendom is, if we use that term. It's a combination of two different words, Christian and kingdom. Mm-hmm. And it is the idea that Jesus, through his church, 
is going to dominate and control the world politically as well and force everybody to become Catholic. And as soon as everybody becomes Catholic, then Jesus is going to return and the world is going to be safe for, mm -hmm. for him to come back after we've cleaned it all up and made it all Catholic. Uh, that is a perversion of the Bible and it's a perversion of history. And every time those kind of things happen, watch out because you're going to have jails and murder um, and torture and psych wards and all that for all those who disagree or dissent from from the from the idea there's that's not christianity christianity is not uh the conquest of the world by military force but this institution now becomes that way and there's a little bit of give and take and morphing back and forth between it but basically from leo up to up through all the way the dark ages and everything through it the pope is the office that is the world leader spiritually and politically even during the times in which Charlemagne would be on the throne or Napoleon or others who mm -hmm. would would be what you would classify as military or political generals that would dominate the world the papal office is still the one that runs the show so we're going to kind of tell that story in, in okay. our episode today uh, and we're going to start by introducing uh, in about 590 mm -hmm. Gregory the Great. Yes. So could you tell us a little bit about the rise of Gregory the Great and his influence, especially maybe move right into his relationship with the Lombards? Because mm -hmm. you were talking about military, right. right? And the influence of the papal office on military movements. Mm -hmm. So maybe tell us about Gregory the Great and go ahead and tell us about the Lombards. Once again, we have this title called Great mm -hmm. that is assigned to an individual. And we talked about this the last time that any person in history who's been assigned to that title by the world and by the historian of the world, Constantine the Great and Alexander the Great. They're all these guys are just disgusting, filthy worms, is what you usually yeah, say. Worms is so. what I said the last yeah. time. And it's <laughs> just there. None of these people, none of these men, are great in the context of great men of God who were used by a great God mm -hmm. to accomplish what God was trying to accomplish on this earth. They all have terrible things about them in their backgrounds and in their history. Well, Gregory became the Pope in 590, and he was a theologian and a military guy both at the same time. And he takes Leo's thing further. Leo did this. Leo protected or negotiated with the Huns, and he didn't launch military action himself. He simply became the military guy who tried to defend Rome against mm -hmm. the Huns and was successful in doing so. Mm -hmm. Gregory took it on the offensive. Leo was more defensive. And Gregory was a guy, well, theologically, we can take him, first of all, Gregory the Great, Gregory the First, 590 is when he became the Pope up until 604. And he con um, confirmed a lot of the doctrines that had been coming into being. This yeah. is the, the Catholic Church and doctrines are evolutionary. Mm -hmm. um, purgatory, for example, he was one of the main architects really pushed purgatory big of time. this concept. The word is not in the Bible. The concept is not in the Bible. 
Um, the only thing that's in the Bible about it is Jesus condemning some concept like that in Matthew 23, where he says, you go and you devour widows' houses, you shall receive the greater uh, damnation. Mm. And so he, Gregory was the first guy who came up with this concept called Masses for the Dead, right. where um, people would pay the and significant money to the church to say a mass that would be for the benefit of somebody who had died, mm-hmm. praying for the dead souls. That's that's demonism. Right. Okay. And trying to get that dead soul out of this state of purgatory that they'd made up where right. they're supposed to supposedly a person who died still has their own sins that they gotta pay for, they gotta get purged out. Takes time. Takes time. In, in sure. Purgatory. I mean, you know, yeah. So it acceler- accelerated, right? They're they're leaving of purgatory if they could pay this fee. Yes, and- pay a fee, and you and we take a little time off of the purgatory sentence. Well, nobody can tell you when this is over with, um, or when there's enough because you can't see into that. Mm-hmm. So it's just pure speculation. And what they would do is say enough masses until that widow had burned through her entire um, reserve if you want to call it that, mm-hmm. and now she's destitute, okay, well, now your husband is out of purgatory. Well, thank you very much. Now I'm broke. Right. And that's what was called devouring widows' houses, mm. um, taking what was you – know, of course you would, a person would want their dearly departed dead husband yeah. to be out of this suffering called right. short-time hell. Right. That concept is spir- spiritual manipulation. Spiritual manipulation. It's oppression. It's perversion of mm-hmm. uh, of the nth degree. And Gregory was responsible for making that a doctrine of the church. Right. The concept of purgatory and masses and said for the dead and all those other kind of things. Uh, he was also a theologian in the concept of what they call the Eucharist. Yeah. Which again, the word is not in the Bible anywhere. The word mass is not in the Bible. The word pope is not in the Bible. Um, uh, cardinal is not in the Bible. Uh, none of these concepts are found in the Bible at all. They're made up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so this concept of the Eucharist being a what they called an unbloody sacrifice. No, wait a minute. Yeah. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary shed his blood, and when it was done, he said, it is finished. But no, they have this reenactment of the sacrifice every time that they do the Mass mm-hmm. um, called an unbloody sacrifice, where, according to Gregory, heaven would open, the angels would descend, and the sacrifice would be re- reinstituted, reinstituted and repeated again mm-hmm. on a regular basis. Well, I'm sorry, but my Bible says Jesus died once— for all, he doesn't. That sacrifice doesn't need to be repeated every single day, um, and yet they do that. And so he's theologically he comes up with those kind of things. Right. Okay. Beyond that, he was incredibly superstitious and incredibly. and pushes and emphasizes the holy relics. Oh yeah. Um, maybe more so at, than any other pope up to this point. Up to this point in time, and that gains a lot of steam as well. Now, we're getting ahead of ourselves briefly, but when you get to the, the Crusades, we'll talk about the relics and all mm-hmm. the things that the church has, the, the things that they have supposedly in their possession from this particular time of period and from the time of Christ. And 
all the other things. You know, there was that fire, what was it, a year or two ago in France at the Notre, Notre Dame, Dame yeah. Cathedral that they had put out the fire. And mm-hmm. luckily they were able to save the crown of thorns. Oh. I don't know if you knew no, that No, I not. didn't know that, but that's, no. uh, yeah. The actual crown them. of thorns is yeah. supposedly held in the, or was in the, in the Notre Dame Cathedral. And, you know, what was taught really is that whether it be, you know, the, the toe of a saint or a lock of hair or the, uh, you know, the, the wrapping garments of, of Christ's burial or yes. whatever they, they claimed that they had, at, at, you know, this cathedral or that cathedral um, or even at the Vatican, mm-hmm. the, the holy relics were intended to be um, things that could be prayed to or honored in such yes. a way that would provide some sort of self-defense or protection from whether physical or spiritual, um, you know, suffering, yeah, trial. And it's just gross idolatry is yeah. what is the worship of objects. Mm-hmm. And right. God has forbidden those things. Make no graven image. So these are all things that, that Gregory was was pushing yes. and, and, and promoting. Right. Now, the other side of what he pushed and promoted was... As I mentioned, he went on the offensive rather than the defensive in a military way. So okay. he, along with others, but he was one of the main architects of, of what is called Catholic missions. Okay. Um, for example, Philip Schaff says about him that he was filled with missionary zeal. And he just, that little statement. Mm-hmm. When we think of somebody being filled with missionary zeal as a believer in Jesus Christ from our vantage point, here's what we're, th- here's what we're saying. This is one of the examples that you have of people using the same words and yet communicating something totally different. Okay. Okay? So when we ask somebody, for example, if you've received Christ, we're asking them if they have trusted his shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ to be their personal Savior. Mm-hmm. You ask a Catholic, have you received Christ? And they'll say, well, yeah, every Sunday I receive Christ. Yeah, right there on my tongue. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, So you're saying the same words, but they're thinking something completely different. Sure. Okay? We talk about missions. We talk about somebody taking their family and quitting their job and selling what they have and moving to a foreign country and adopting the language and through the passion of their life, through the Word of God, taking the Bible and sharing the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ with other people with words only Mm -hmm. and bringing those people into faith of the Lord Jesus Christ just by their words without any military thing involved with it as well. Yeah. It's a free will decision. Absolutely. And that sits at the heart okay. of that perspective. Yeah. There is absolutely nothing in genuine faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that would prompt somebody to put a gun to someone's head or a sword in their throat and say, you will believe what I believe or else. Because mm-hmm. that's not belief. That's not faith. I mean, if I say, boom, you will or else, right? you'll go, okay, well, I believe. No, you don't. You don't believe anything. Right. That's not faith. Well, what Gregory did was amass armies and launch and send them to various areas to evangelize the church. This is what you'll read in church history. He was an evangelist for the church. He involved in missionary zeal. His missionary zeal was to send an army to people and conquer them militarily and say, you will become Catholic or else we will kill you. Right. And which, to no surprise, wasn't exceptionally effective 
to establish zeal in the people that they they went to uh, not necessarily right. no <laughs> it didn't no. always work out didn't always work out because people would say well okay fine i'll believe what you believe and then they go and do what they want yeah, to do anyway worship their false idols or whatever it was yeah, yeah. which they did some but they didn't do others mm-hmm. and so that concept um really gained a lot of prominence under gregory the first and it was of course it's of course been used repeatedly th- Oh, through sure. church history, even to this day, but yeah. still, throughout the Dark Ages, that was the main missionary method of the Catholic Church. Mm. We will go, we will march into this area with an army, and if you don't become Catholic and give your allegiance to our organization, we'll just kill you. Yeah. Now, last time we were together, we talked about Leo uh, protecting Rome. Right. And uh, there's a similar situation here with Gregory. Um you know, Rome is under threat. Yes, and he he steps in and he does some military negotiation, which makes him the hero. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about the story with him and the Lombards. Yeah, the Lombards were a group of people who who had the north central area, if you will, of of Italy. Mm-hmm. If you look, if you know of Italy on the map, you, everybody knows the boot that sticks down sure. in the ocean. Rome is down the leg somewhere, and from that. Area up until it spreads out to Europe in general, up in Milan, roughly speaking, is mm-hmm. up in that area. That area of land from Rome to Milan is roughly about the size, I looked it up, it's about the size of the state of Indiana, hmm. to put it in context of what we would be able to picture and understand in our life, in our mind. That area was controlled by a group called the Lombards, which were in opposition to the the Roman um, group. And so there was a little bit of military stuff in there. And leading into Gregory and a little bit even later than that, going up into Charlemagne, there was military conquest back and forth from there. And Gregory was the first guy to launch, again, offensive military operations against that land and try to subdue it a little bit. By the time we get to Charlemagne and his ancestors, his grandfather and great and and his father and grandfather, they had basically conquered that land and deeded it to the popes Mm. where the Catholic Church owned that land. They owned the state of Indiana from Rome to Milan that was the buffer uh, land-wise for any group to come in. If, if, if a military operation comes in from Europe through through Italy by land, they have to come down that area. Yeah. So imagine having to conquer the entire state of Indiana before you get to Rome. Sure. That was the that was that area of, of ground. And, and Gregory was a guy that began those wars. So then you know, uh, Gregory, again, just kind of takes what Leo uh, began mm-hmm. and then begins to I- expand it. Yes. Um, Gregory is highly regarded, um, even to today. Yes, uh, very much. Uh, and so what happens moving forward is, as time progresses, uh, he is basically lifted up the papal position. Mm-hmm. Uh, they own land now. They right. have political and governmental authority. Yep. They are establishing uh, superstitious beliefs and dogmas among the people. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so they're exerting a, a higher level of thought control as right. well, right? right, through the superstitions. Mm -hmm. And so if we move forward in time, uh, we get to Charlemagne. Right. And and Charlemagne really does, as a political leader and a mil military leader, does everything he can uh, to further establish the relationship between the empire and mm -hmm. this this growing authority in the Pope. Right. So maybe you can walk us up to about seven mid, you know, 700s. Charlemagne is another one of the greats, isn't he? Mm -hmm. Charles Magny, that's what it, Charlemagne is, Charles the Great. And his reign was designed to um, try to bring the entire world underneath Catholic domination. So here's one of the places in which the office of the Pope and the office of the Emperor sort of split into two men, but they were they were joined at the hip mm -hmm. um, incredibly. The Pope at that time was Pope Leo the mm Third, -hmm. not not the Leo the Great, but Pope Leo the Third. Right. On Christmas Day, 800, um, Charlemagne happened to be in the Vatican. Just so happened to be, haha. Uh -huh. <clears throat> and Pope Leo, supposedly out of a um, just impotent, impromptu thing, which right. was planned ahead of time, took a crown, put it on his head, and crowned him to be the emperor of the world. Right. With this statement, po um, um, Charlemagne crowned as emperor, crowned by God. Mm. Who's got the crown in his head? Right. So what you're saying is, okay, so. Charlemagne, Charles the Great, yes, um, who whose father Pepin mm -hmm. helped conquer tons of land, handed it off right. to his son. His right. son was even more powerful. Mm -hmm. He happens to be in the Vatican for Christmas for to to worship, and yes. apparently the way the story goes is he's on his knees at the front of the cathedral space and he's bowing in worship before Christ mm -hmm. or whatever. And then, you know, the Pope, Leo III, sneaks up behind him yeah. um, and, and places this crown on his head. Now, wh like, what does that mean dynamic-wise? Because obviously Charlemagne the Great's, I think his statement was that he just, he didn't know. It was just like, it was completely impromptu, like you said. It took him, took him by surprise. He couldn't believe it. What does that dynamic do at that coronation? What, what begins to happen in the relationship between those two offices? There's a... Um a quid pro quo involved in this, mm. where you scratch my back and I scratch yours. You you be the military guy. You take the brunt of the um, military force. I'll take the spiritual side of this. Mm -hmm. I will stay back in Rome and I will pray for you. Now we see a lot of the popes doing that. Yes, they're military, but they're military underneath the surface. They're using emperors to do this. And, and it goes back and forth a little bit between that time. Because the thought is, is that the Pope controls the populace. Yes. So if you want to have the influence politically, then to have the Pope on your side mm -hmm. provides you with the support from the masses of people. Yeah. Yeah. And they'll all be, they'll all fall underneath your mm -hmm. sway and, and do that. Well, Charlemagne's got a rich heritage of military guys before him. Mm -hmm. uh, his grandfather is Charles Martel. The um, hammer. The hammer. Yes. <clears throat> we'll get to the Islamic wave in a minute. He stopped the Islamic wave. His father is called Pepin, Pepin mm -hmm. the Short. Um, I guess he was a... I think he was a, tiny. Yeah, yeah. Not, a, not a tall guy. No. Uh, he's the guy, we mentioned him before, 
that actually made the military conquest of that area of, of mm -hmm. Italy from Rome to Milan and then deeded all that land to the Pope. And in the deed of that land to the Pope, there was a document called the Donation of Constantine that supposedly was a document that was written by Constantine that deeded that land to the Catholic Church. Right, so Pope. that it appeared to be more successive. Like yes. This, this had the authority of Constantine long before. Long before we came right. around. That document was proved to be a forgery in mm -hmm. the 1400s. Yeah. Okay. The land called the papal, the patrimony of St. Peter or the papal states is what that was called. That land was in the possession of the Roman Catholic Church as a, and they were the landlord. They owned that land mm -hmm. from, and that's a big spot, a big piece of land. Right. Uh, as their buffer time, you had to come in by sea or you had to come in through that land and they could militarily enforce, you know, reinforce that land and have a good protection against somebody coming in from the north. That land was owned by them as the papal states from that time, Pepin the Short in 750-ish or so, mm -hmm. up until 1870. It wasn't until 1870 that those papal states were dissolved and then the land turned back into the nation of Italy. Right. Um, they proved in the 1400s that that letter, that donation of Constantine was a forgery, and it took them 470 years to give the land back, just to let you know where they're coming from. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's that, that merging of political and religious together to lock the world down, clamp it down, and become the Lord of the earth. Mm -hmm. That's what the Pope's office did during that time. Leo, Gregory, Charlemagne, those guys are, are responsible for it. Charlemagne's empire was set up to be a millennial reign. They, the idea behind that was that the emperor of Europe through the popes in conjunction with each other would then dominate the world for the next thousand years. Mm -hmm. At the end of that thousand years, Jesus would come back. Augustine taught this, that if Jesus would come back after they had made the entire world Catholic and dominated it for a thousand years, he would come back and then reign. That's called post-millennialism. It's a heresy. And whenever right. you find it, you find people killing each other. Right. Here's the interesting thing about that, things that people don't, they don't even think about this stuff. We, we throw these terms out, and people don't put two and two together. Mm -hmm. Adolf Hitler rises to power in Germany in the 1900s, and he calls his reign the Third, Third, Third Reich. Reich. Yeah. And people just go, oh, well, if there's a Third Reich, there's two behind him. Yeah. Okay? And <clears throat> the, the word Reich means... Reign mm -hmm. specifically means millennial reign. Mm -hmm. Okay, the first Reich was the Roman Catholic Church during the Dark Ages from 500 to 1500, dominating the world, and they pulled off a Reich. Yeah, a thousand-year reign. Yeah. yeah. The second one was in World War One when Kaiser Wilhelm was going to take over the world as well, and that mm -hmm. got thwarted. And so when Hitler came to power, he called it the Third Reich. Right. 
It was an building on the to, tradition. Yeah, building on the tradition, attempt to retake the entire world and bring it under the lock and control of the totalitarian state of military religious Catholicism. Mm -hmm. And that's where that came from. Right. And so he's following in a tradition that was, from a political perspective, very, very powerful, authoritarian. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, but from Charlemagne's perspective, or at least the way that he promoted it, this was Christendom in its finest. Absolutely. Right? This is the way a theocracy should look. Yes. A marrying of the church and the government, and then a controlling of the world. A control of the world. So the marriage of church and state produces the Charlemagne, Pope Leo III concept of here's the kingdom of God and here's the kingdom of heaven. We're merging them together into this Christian kingdom or Christian dumb. Mm -hmm. And that becomes a Reich. It becomes a reign over the earth and that reign of terror. That reign is called the Dark Ages from 500 to 1500, a millennium, a thousand year period of time in which the dominant force on this earth was Roman Catholicism although there were other dominant forces as well, but that was the main dominant force in attempting to lock down the entire world and make it fit for Jesus to come back. Mm -hmm. That's that improper theology that comes from trying to combine the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven into right. one right. and make it the same, and to take the military or the, not the military, but the, the um, kingdom concept of the nation of Israel in the Old Testament and make it New appropriate Testament, appropriated New Testament-wise so that it, we take now the, the role of Israel mm -hmm. and force and lock down and militarily conquer the world for Jesus so that he can right. come back. Yeah. And that's just a perversion of the truth. And, um, and it continues. It continues, it continues on and on and on. And so we're going to get into episodes about the Crusades, and we're mm -hmm. going to talk about that more in depth in future episodes. But in order to set us up for that a yes. little bit, you mentioned um, Charles the Hammer. Yeah. And you you mentioned briefly the, the expansion of the Arabic or Islamic military might right. and how that had to be fought against. Maybe explain that to us a little bit and how that ended up impacting and, or motivating to some degree the movement of the Crusades. Yeah. Now, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 12 about the kingdom of Satan. He says, if Satan cast out Satan, his kingdom is divided, and how shall it stand? Satan's kingdom is divided. So his attempt to lock down the world will always be weak and it will always have fissures within it. Mm -hmm. One of them is the Eastern Orthodox Church, which we'll get into later. Another one is the rise of Islam. There's always going to be these cracks and fissures and this weakness that's going to divide what goes on uh, within his control uh, because there's no honor among thieves. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> what happened at that particular time is he's raising up Muhammad as well. Around 600 or so, Muhammad has his visions of of the Quran and the, the start of Islam and all mm -hmm. of that. And he begins, without going into long uh, history of this, he begins a military conquest of certain areas. He's in Mecca and Medina and all of that. We know the, the beginnings of Islam at that time. It's around 600 or so, mm -hmm. where he takes an army, goes in, conquers Medina, and then conquers Mecca. And after the death of Muhammad, that movement becomes militaristic and, and spreads like wildfire through that particular area. The, a military conquest and roughly took about a hundred years from the death of of Muhammad 
to the point where they go into Jerusalem and captured that. Well, Jerusalem by 635, I think, was the time in which uh, Islam conquered Jerusalem. They had already been taken over by several hordes of mm -hmm. different people, different groups of people. The Turks were in there and um, uh, Arabs were in there as well. God had taken the nation of Israel off the throne in 70 AD, wiped out their temple, scattered the Jews to the, right. to the four winds. And so from 70 to 635, various different groups had controlled, but now the, the Muslims come in and overtake and overrun Jerusalem and capture it at that particular point in time. That's 635. And then they start coming down from the south. Well, you've got Europe up here in the north that's dominated by Leo, Gregory, Charlemagne, right. Pepin. Yeah. That Catholic domination has controlled that area. Islam comes down through the south. And over a period of about 100 years, they just make this massive push through northern Africa, militarily conquer it all the way across over here to Morocco, mm -hmm. if you know the, if you just vision, envision right. the area, up through Gibraltar into Spain, had conquered most of Spain, and they were going up into Europe when Charles Martel, the grandfather of Charlemagne, in a battle in 732 AD, stopped the Islamic wave in what's called the Battle of Tours, France. So in that area, they stopped that thing, and it just settled at that point in time. So what um, our enemy, Satan, had at that point in time was the Western Catholic Church dominating Europe, the Islamic dominating the northern Africa and the southern part. And so you've got two groups of people against each other at this particular point in time trying to war and fight against each other. And it's just kind of holding its peace from 732 until we get into the time of the Crusades in about mm -hmm. 1095. So 350 or so years, you've got an Islamic world at the south and a Christian world in the north. And you know you see some of these conflicts that take place in the world today are titled Christian versus Muslim. Mm -hmm. It's not Christian. Right. Okay, it's Catholic versus Muslim. But you've got that seed is set up for you at that particular point in time through history where now you've got these two groups that are kind of at odds with each mm -hmm. other. Within the groups, this is one of the principles of history that is absolute that you'll find throughout any group, that the enemy, Satan, controls people through a triumph a triangle of religion, politics, and the military. Mm -hmm. We start a thought process, a religion. Everybody has to believe the same thing, and if you don't, I will put a gun to your head and a sword at your throat and say, you will believe or else. Yes, sir. Okay? Mm -hmm. So that thought process then permeates through an entire group of people. Laws then become passed, politics, where it becomes against the law to disagree with the with the thought process. Mm -hmm. That's what Islam is today. It's what Catholicism is today. It's what political correctness is moving toward in this country. Mm -hmm. You will believe what we tell you to believe or else. Right. By law, we will enforce the law against you. Once the law gets into place and you becomes against the law to disagree with whatever movement or thought there is, here comes the military or the police or the uh, army at that particular point in time to enforce that. Mm -hmm. So now you've got Islam. You will believe this. We will pass laws. If you disagree with, our, with Islam, it's a treason against the state. Now we enforce it by military force. It's what Catholicism is. You will believe what the Catholic Church teaches. 
because this is our canon law, and if you don't like it, we'll come in, march in your in your area. Gregory the Great will march in your area and we'll conquer you mm-hmm. by force, if necessary, to right. enforce our thing. So you've got two groups of people that are main entities in the world that are established like this that are vying for the control of the earth at that point. And when you have that, now you've got you've got a disaster right. waiting to happen. And so the tension is set. Yes. And um, and so next time you and I get together, which mm-hmm. which may be a few episodes from now, okay. um, we'll investigate the Crusades mm-hmm. and what it looks like for feudalism to take rise mm-hmm. and for for noblemen to send military might towards Jerusalem to conquer it, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. Very interesting and, oh, and wild, wild co- conversation. Yes. So we'll we'll get there. That'll be next. Yeah. Greg, it's always good to have you. Good to be here. Uh, thanks for making sense of what can sometimes be confusing. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that. Uh, I think a lot of people are unsure of how to see this from God's perspective. Right. And so I think you've shed some light on um, on how we should see history. We're good. Praise God. Yeah. And we want to thank you for joining us. And again, if you have not yet picked up Church History by Greg Axe, this is available on Amazon. You can learn more about the book at Living Faith Fellowship's website, lffellowship.com. Greg has written a, a book that includes all the principles you hear him talking about, principles of seeing history through the lens of scripture, but then also breaks down history and talks about it and applies those principles in a very unique way. And so uh, we highly encourage you to get this book. Uh, we also ask that you would go back and, and listen to other episodes on church history. If you if you need to get caught up, please do that. All those episodes are available to you. Uh, if you are interested in LFBI, if, if this conversation is intriguing to you and you'd like to learn more about this perspective on scripture, on history, on, on doctrine and, and theology, uh, go to lfbi.org and learn more about who we are as a fellowship of churches. And uh, every week, every Monday, we have a new episode of The Postscript that comes out. We highly encourage you, like, subscribe, follow, write reviews, and, uh, and just be with us as we each week take a journey with pastors and have these conversations. We really appreciate you being with us, and we ask that, that God would bless you this next week. Goodbye. Hey, Postscript listeners, we've hit 52 episodes, and we're so thankful for the fact that you've joined us for so many interviews with pastors and professors as they've come through the studio, and we really do hope that it's been an encouragement to you. Now, we're really excited because we have an announcement to make. This fall, we're gonna be launching a new segment called PS Plus, and it's gonna be hosted by my dear friend, Van Sneed. So if you're listening to this, and you're probably already familiar with the format of The Postscript, where each week, Pastor Brandon interviews pastors and missionaries and other professors from the Living Faith Bible Institute. Well, on the PS Plus, we'll take a look at some of the topics that are being discussed and do a deep dive, but don't let that fool you. The episodes are going to be 10 to 15 minutes, so they're short, they're sweet, they're edifying for you, but they're also shareable with your friends, your families, and other folks that need to hear it. So that's a really good point. We've always wanted the postscript to be edifying and encouraging to you, but now we're going to be creating content that's shareable for your friends and family. If they want to hear more about what you believe, this is going to be the perfect opportunity for them. So we're really excited about this, and we hope you join us this fall for the PS Plus. We'll see you soon.